Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right, guys. Welcome to Dreams, Passing the Test that bring our dreams to pass. And I'm really excited about this series. This is lesson two. If you weren't with us last week, it's all available for free. My favorite place is our YouTube channel. Uh, It has higher resolution, but you can also listen to it on our Believer's Church app uh, while you're driving, et cetera. Now we have the privilege of opening up the scriptures. And again, I'm really excited about this particular a series called Dreams. And every single one of you have dreams that God has placed in your heart. Even if you've accomplished a bunch and you might think you're older, I addressed that last weekend. And even if you're young and you think you're too young, I addressed that last weekend. Great lesson to listen to because God keeps giving us dreams, things to do that he places into our hearts. And so some of you might say, I can't find them. If you work these principles in this series, they'll come alive. You'll, you'll notice them. They'll begin to burn brighter and brighter on the inside of you. And for some of you, you know what your dreams are, but you say, I just can't seem to uh, fulfill them. They just aren't happening. Well, sometimes there's a timing element, but sometimes if we don't pass these character tests, God's not going to help us uh, get to the place where these dreams become a reality. So we're studying the life of Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, and he had to pass these character tests. And we're going to look at the first one today, I call it the pride test, and he had to pass the pride test. But this poor guy, I'll tell you, it was tough for him because uh, the Bible wasn't written yet. The Bible wasn't written for another almost 500 years, so he had no scriptures like we do. And so uh, it's tough to grow and change without the scriptures. But he did. He passed the pride test, and I'll, I'll show you how he did it. He did it when he fell into a pit. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about his life in just just a moment. But I want to open with a story. There's this very wealthy man, and him and his wife were driving a high-end luxury car, and they're dressed up, and they needed gas, so he stops at a convenience store to get himself some gas. And his wife's in the car, and he's outside, and this guy that worked at the convenience store walks up, and she can tell they know each other. I mean, they're cracking up, and, and they're having fun. So when he got back in the car, she said, hey, who was that guy? He said, oh, that's Johnny, man. We played football together, and I hadn't seen him in a long time. And, and she goes, oh, that's nice. And then he said this. He said, aren't you glad you didn't marry Johnny or someone like him, but you married me? Aren't you glad you didn't marry a gas station attendant? And she said, you know what, honey? If I married Johnny, he'd be the wealthy businessman and you'd be working at the convenience store. (laughs) Pop, pop, right? She popped his pride balloon and all of us have to deal with pride at some time or another in our life. And I had to deal with it much more when I was younger. It's almost like life knocks the pride out of us, uh, you know, as we walk through life. But it doesn't knock it all out. We have to pass this test. And I remember when I knew I was called to go into the ministry, I had this vision that I'd be an evangelist, you know, uh, national ministry, and I'd fill up stadiums, and I'd have more people come into the stadiums than Billy Graham, and, and ABC would be so impressed. They'd say, Joe, we're not even going to sell you airtime. We'll give you an hour for free every week. And I had this great dream of what I would become. And then as I'm in Bible school, I realized I'm not even called to do that. I'm called to be a pastor. But then the dreams moved over to being a pastor. And I knew I was to come back to the valley here where I grew up. And my dream at that point was, I'll be here two months and the church will be 5,000. And then within a couple years, we'll be 20,000, you know, 10% at the time of our county. And then of course, what happened? Life. And I realized, oh, 
I'm prideful and that's delusional, right? But you know what else? I also learned some things that could help me get rid of that. And we're gonna talk about how to pass this pride test. And all of us are different, but all of us deal with this thing called pride. So I have a big idea for this lesson. It's what I want us to walk out understanding more clearly than ever. And it goes like this. Passing the pride test enables us to pass all other tests. And so we're gonna talk about the purity test. We're gonna talk about the prison test, the pardon test, and the power test when we're really successful, right? We're gonna talk about those tests. And as we talk about those tests, here's what we wanna understand. If we don't pass the pride test, we won't be capable of passing those other tests. It's the most important test. And there's two types of pride, and we're gonna show you that in just a moment. But you might say, well, what is pride? And I'm gonna give you a pride test just in a second too. But here's how I like to describe pride. Pride is always me focused. It's just when a lot of eyes come out of my life, I'm gonna do this and I'm better than you and I believe this way and I don't care whether I'm the right one, you're the wrong one. It's just a lot of eyes. And here's why God doesn't like pride. Uh, His greatest creation was Lucifer and he became the devil. But Jesus made all things. So Jesus created Lucifer. He always existed. Then he came here in a body, but he existed before then. And the Bible says Lucifer was his most beautiful perfect creation. It says he was the most beautiful creation. He was the smartest creation. And God even put inside of him musical instruments. And 99% of all Bible scholars will tell you, Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven. Can you believe that? And the 1% that don't believe that, they have a pride issue because they should jump on the train. 99% say he was the worship leader, right? They just want to argue. So here, here we go, guys. Here we go. Um, That's why God doesn't like pride. And here's what Lucifer did. You can read it in Isaiah 14. He said four eyes. Here's the four eyes. He said, I will raise myself above all other other angels. He was an archangel, the most beautiful of all. He said, I'm gonna raise myself above every single angel, Michael and Gabriel included, right? And then he said, I'm going to ascend into heaven. And then he said, I'm going to knock God off his throne. Then he said, I will be God. And those those are his four eyes. And then he, he finally rebelled, had a third of the angels come with him, and it took God one second to throw him down. And this is before God made mankind, all this happened. So when God made us, he was already Lucifer or, or the devil. So that's why God hates pride. He watched it bring down his most beautiful creation. He doesn't want that to happen in our lives. So I, I know there's no one prideful in this service. They were all in the 8 a.m. traditional and in the 9 a.m. service. <laughs> We are the most spiritual service, aren't we, guys? Right. Yeah, all right. Over in Borman here in Warren, we are the most spiritual. And so uh, I, know, I do know this. The majority of us have dealt with, with a lot of pride in our lives, and we're doing really well. But it's that kind of thing that likes to keep creeping in. So let's take the test, right? Uh, the Bible says there's four th- fruits we'll have if we have pride in our life. And here's the first of four. And, and, and it goes like this. Uh, Proverbs 13, Ted, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. And so the opposite of conflict in our life is wisdom. So uh, I'm gonna show you the two types of pride in just a moment. And we have to deal with that first type first, but get a hold of what the Bible's saying. 
when, we're, when, when we don't have pride, we want to hear what other people have to say. But when we have pride, we want to argue. That's what conflict is. So some of us will have conflict even if we don't have any pride. It comes every now and then because somebody prideful will start a fight with us or an argument, right? But the majority of the time, if you, if you have a lot of conflict in your life, if it seems like everybody's always against you, everybody's always arguing with you, 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 you probably have a pride issue because pride brings conflict. Here's the second thing that pride can do to us, and it goes like this, Proverbs 29, 23. Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. So when we humble ourselves, God will honor us. But if we have a pride issue, we'll have egg in our face all the time. It, it will bring humility in our life. And even if you don't have pride, you, you can have a situation that makes you feel humility. But we're talking about all the time. And people that have pride, they have to, to, they have to um, you know, take egg in their face a lot. They have a lot of humility because they're always arguing. They're never wrong and so on and so forth. Here's the, the second or the third and the fourth. It goes like this. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. And haughtiness is just another word for pride. God didn't want to use pride twice. But think about falling and destruction. Falling is when we just trip and, and we can get back up, you know? And if you have no pride in your life, some storm's going to hit you and knock you down and you'll get right back up. Destruction's when just everything's destroyed. And that's why the Bible says that pride comes before a fall, before destruction. And so ask yourself, is any of that going on in my life? Am, am I always in conflict? Do I have a lot of humility? Am, am I always feeling this, like I'm humiliated by people? That, or uh, do I stumble a lot and fall? That could happen to the best of us. Do I, do I have a lot of destruction or I've had a lot of destruction where... I, everything, the bottom falls out and I have to start over again. And if that's happening in your life, that's the fruit of pride. And you and I want to deal with pride. So uh, let me show you uh, the two types of pride. And what I did in this series is I, I do this every time I'm going to touch a subject. I read every scripture on the Bible on a subject. So I read every scripture on pride. I just gather them all with some easy web searches. And I just kept reading them and I saw something I'd never seen before, and I'll show you throughout this lesson. I saw there's two types of pride, and the first type of pride is vertical pride, and that's pride towards God. And that's, of course, what Lucifer had. And vertical pride has nothing to do with people. And what is pride towards God? Well, that's when we say to God, I don't want you on the throne of my life. I don't, I don't want to follow the scriptures and do everything you say to do. And, and all of us have to deal with this. I was 19 when I dealt with it for the first time, but I only gave God so much real estate in my heart. And over the decades, I had to deal, and I'd have to say, all right, I'll give this up, I'll give that up. But oftentimes, we're like Lucifer was, and we say to God, I want to control the throne of my life. I want to be enthroned and make all my decisions. I don't want to make my decisions according to the Bible. And we have a culture today where a lot of Christians aren't even sure if the Bible is the word of God. And I know all the arguments, but here's what I want to say to you. If we don't have a standard, how do we live our lives, right? And the Bible is the standard. And when we see the standard and we want to rightly interpret it, right, there has to come a moment in our life, vertical pride, where we say, you know what, God? I'm going to put you on the throne of my life in that area, and I'm going to do what you want. So I remember as a 19-year-old, I just said, God, I give you the throne of my life. But I did hold on to lots of it. And said, 
I'll give that to you in a little bit. <laughs> I, I still like this and I still like that. It wasn't all any sinful things, but it was just control, right? And, and giving God the throne of your life is releasing total control to God and yielding to what he says. And I've discovered if we deal with that, we can deal with horizontal pride. Here's what horizontal pride is. Horizontal pride is pride towards people. And, and that's the pride we're mostly familiar with. And there's some scriptures in the Bible, they're not talking about horizontal pride. They're talking about vertical pride. And, and we'll see that, especially in our last little section of scripture before we, we leave this particular lesson. So horizontal pride is what we're most familiar with. And my big idea stands for both type. Passing the pride test enables us to pass all other tests. So we want to deal with this. Joseph was at a disadvantage. He had no scriptures. They came about 500 years later. So I believe God had to do something special for him in the pit. And we'll talk about this. But let's look at his life. I want to show you how he had to deal with pride. And here's what you want to understand about Joseph. He lived in a dysfunctional family. Do you know what I'm saying? It was totally dysfunctional. And you know who was at fault? Jacob, his dad. Jacob later became, uh, God changed his name to Israel and he had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the roots of the nation of Israel today. And Jacob messed all his kids up and I wanna show you how, but let's read a little bit of scripture first. And it goes like this, Genesis 37, one. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, so Joseph was 30 when he became second in command in Egypt. So this is 13 years before. He's 17, and so he's a young guy, and I had a, a lot more pride issues at 17 because life hadn't beat me down yet, right? My, my one grandma, we called her Nana, it was my, my dad's mom, and we would complain about our parents giving us chores and doing all these things, and she always said this, and we didn't know at first what it meant, but she'd look at us and say, it doesn't rain under here, honey, and we realized later, she's saying, we don't have any pressure on us living in our parents' house, right? And so she'd say, it doesn't rain under here, honey, and say it like that, and now I understand it. And that's Joseph is living where it doesn't rain under here, right? So listen, it says, when Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Silpha. It goes on and closes, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. So he was kind of like a tattletale too. But can we look at the scripture? Do you see, uh, do you see these names, Bilhah and Zilpha? Bilhah was Rachel's servant girl, and Zilpha was Leah's servant girl. So let's all get on the same page. Ready? Jacob's a young man, and his, his brother Esau sold him the firstborn rights for a bowl of oatmeal. So then uh, Joseph went ahead and took those rights by having his father Isaac speak a blessing over him. But Esau was so mad, he had to run for his life. So he runs to his uncle Laban's house. That's where his mom says to go. And as soon as he arrives at his uncle's house, he sees Rachel. And the Bible says he falls head over heels in love with her. And he says uh, to, to Laban, I want to marry her. He said, sure, but you have to work for me for seven years. So seven years come up. And finally, he can marry uh, Rachel. But 
Then Laban pulls a fast one on and says, I can't give her to you in marriage. You have to marry the firstborn. Leah's the firstborn. You have to marry her first. And the Bible says Leah wasn't that attractive and Rachel was really attractive. So Jacob married her, but then uh, Laban said, I'll let you marry it. It seemed like it was next week or a week or two. He said, you can marry Rachel, but you have to work another seven years. So already discover the dynamics. Leah is not loved, and Rachel is. Well, then they began having kids, but Rachel couldn't have any kids uh, till later in life God healed her, but Leah started having all these kids. So Rachel was upset, so Rachel gets Bilhah, her servant girl, and says, Jacob, I give you permission. I want to have kids through her. And so she gave them two. And then uh, Leah's looking, and she had six kids. She was very fertile. But uh, she said, uh, I want you to take Zilha, and you can have kids through my servant girl. And Zilha gave her two. So Rachel had six. Zilha and Bilha had two each. So that's 10 kids. And so there's 10 kids out. And then God heals Rachel, who is the one that... He loved, Jacob loved Rachel. And so then Joseph is born. He's number 11, and that's important. And then Benjamin came number 12. So let's just read a little more of the dynamics. Verse three, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. And it also, the Bible says in other places, it's because he really loved Rachel. He loved her the most. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful coat. Uh, we call that the coat of many colors. So here's the dysfunction. And I want you to just imagine this. Can you imagine being the kids, four of them, of Zilpha and Bilhah? Uh, their mom's a servant. Jacob has nothing to do with them after they bear him kids. And so they're like, you know, they know we're not the loved ones. Our dad doesn't love our moms. But then think of Rachel six. Reuben's the firstborn. We're going to find out he's a man of integrity. But Jacob never loved her. She had to pay to be able to have more kids with him. He didn't want anything to do with him. And then all of a sudden, Joseph comes along and Benjamin, and it's like, now they're favored because dad really loves their mom. Dad doesn't love our mom. And so they already hated Joseph, but then he gave him the coat of many colors. And you know what else that symbolizes? That symbolizes that he had the rights of a firstborn, and the firstborn in Bible days received a double inheritance. So that coat meant Joseph was gonna receive double of his dad's inheritance and it belonged to Reuben. So Reuben should have been the most upset, but he was really a man of integrity. So all this is playing in. This is a dysfunctional family. And the lesson I learned from this is never favor one kid over another. That could get you thrown in a pit or get your kids thrown in a pit, right? So it goes on in verse four. But his brothers hated Joseph because their fathers loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So all that's happening. Plus he's full of pride. Listen, as we read verse five, one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream. He said, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before him. And all he's saying is this, I'm going to be royalty. They knew what that meant. And you had to bow in Bible days to royalty. He said, I'm going to have a way higher position than you, and you're going to end up bowing to me. And that really got them upset. But remember, this dream came from God. In verse 8, it goes on to say, do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams. And listen to this, the way he talked about them. 
he kept talking about his dreams. And I don't know if you did this. I was number four out of seven boys and I would taunt my older brothers and then I'd have to run. And I was faster than them so I could run away. But, but I'd taunt them. And he, this is saying, he walked around saying, you're gonna bow to me. I'm gonna be greater than you. And he just constantly said, my daddy loves my mom more than he loves your mom. And he just had an attitude. This guy had a severe pride problem. I can't blame him, but he had to deal with it. It goes on to say this. It says in verse eight, do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Verse nine now, soon Joseph had another dream and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. That's mom, dad, and even Benjamin, all 11 brothers. And listen to verse 10. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So I want to make all of us think a little bit. I think the majority of us know what the sovereignty of God means and how you know, God knows the beginning all the way to the end. The Bible teaches us that God created time and he stands above time. And that's why God could say a thousand years before it happened, he could say, Jesus, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. He, he sees the beginning all the way to the end. My mind knows it intellectually, but I still can't fathom, fathom it. I mean, it's just amazing. And so why didn't God do this? Why didn't God in 12 and a half years a half year before Pharaoh would have a dream that Joseph had to interpret, why didn't God give Joseph a dream then and say, hey, I need you to go to Egypt in six months, Pharaoh's gonna have a dream and you could interpret it. It would have made Joseph's life more easy, right? It, it would have uh, caused Joseph not to have as much to be proud of. God didn't do it that way. And I don't even know how this fits into my doctrine. Sometimes when you think of the sovereignty of God, I'm not even know where, sometimes I don't even know where to fit it in, but I just like to think about these things. And here's what I, a conclusion I came to. If God would have waited till six months before, Joseph would have never dealt with his pride. He would have never dealt with the purity test, the prison test, and he wouldn't have been ready to be second in command in Egypt. And he, he would have blew that opportunity. So there had to be a growing time and he had to go through the tough times of life. His were a little more tough than others. But you know, we're gonna find out God graced him while he went through it. God blessed him while he went through the tough times. I want you to think about this. Yes, he, he became a servant uh, to Potiphar, but the Bible says God showed him favor and he literally ran his household. So he was in air conditioning running the whole household. That's not so bad, right? And then he was in prison and that's a terrible place, but he ran the prison. God can put favor on your life even as you're going through the tough times in life. And I'll, I'll bring that home near the end today, guys. But there had to be a growth period for him. So let's take a look at what happened next. His brothers go and they have, they have the flocks a day or so away. So Jacob takes Joseph and says, I want you to go check on them. Make sure they're doing everything correctly. And so he goes to check on them. And it says this in Genesis 37, 18. When they saw him from a distance and before he came closer to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. So they saw the coat from a distance. It had to be quite a coat, right? And verse 20, now then come and let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits and we will say a vicious animal devoured him. 
Then we will see what will become of his dreams, right? He, we can't bottle him if he's dead. And so they really hated him. But verse 21, but Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands by saying, let's not take his life. And so Reuben, who should have the coat on, what a guy of integrity. He said, let's not kill him. And he had other plans. Listen to verse 22. Then Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that, that is in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him so that later he, Reuben, might rescue him out of their hands to return him to his father. What a guy. He had his blessing, his firstborn stolen, but he is incredible. So if you have some kids coming, yeah, it's a good name. Reuben's a good name. It's a name of integrity, right? So but Reuben had to go do a task and his brothers went ahead and they did something Reuben would not have allowed them to do. Verse 23, so it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the multi-colored tunic that was on him and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water, which means he didn't drown. Verse 28, then some Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him out and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. These, these are their distant cousins that came from uh, Ishmael. And it goes on to say, for 20 shekels of silver, so they brought Joseph into Egypt. And here's what's so amazing. He was thrown into that pit and we have no dialogue. I mean, what did he say when they threw him in the pit? I would think he's begging like, hey man, we're blood. Don't do this to me. Let me out of this pit. And then we have no dialogue about what happened in the pit, but here's what we know. When Joseph came out of that pit, he had zero pride. It was non-existent. When he goes into Potiphar's house, he has zero pride. He was a model uh, person. When he goes into prison, there's no pride. He somehow dealt with that pride in the pit. And, and I think, I really think God probably, I think Jesus probably appeared to him in there. And we don't know, I'm speculating. But what I do know is this. I do know he had to deal with it and it was dealt with. So something happened in there. And I know God tells us how to deal with it. So I wanna show you New Testament scriptures on how we can deal with vertical pride. And it's really amazing. And many of you have done it, as I said, but it keeps trying to creep in. We keep trying to take a rain or two off God, or maybe we don't give him everything and we say, I'm gonna hold on dear to this one for a while, God. So uh, it, it happens in the book of James. And in the book of James, um, the Christians there, they were Christians like us. They walked away from God and they took the reins off of God and said, we're gonna live our life the way we want to. And he's writing scriptures to them. And in James 4, the first three verses, he lets, he lets us know and he's rebuking them. He's saying, you guys are practicing sin that I told you you shouldn't practice. So there's sin going on, not just purity, but other sins. And so he's upset about that. But then he deals with this, that they had put the things of this world above God. And there are so many things in this world that are good guys. So I don't want you to think things in this world are bad. There's so many things I enjoy in this world. I enjoy a good sci-fi movie. I don't know why, but I love sci-fi. I know it's not true, but I love it. I mean, it's just, I like to get out of reality, I guess, right? And I mentioned last week, I, I love sports. And so I love all these things, but I have to keep making sure in my life that none of it takes the throne, right? I have to keep it balanced. And they unbalanced their life totally. So God begins to speak to them. So he dealt with the sin. And then he says this in James 4.4, 4, you adulterers, this is spiritual adultery, by the way. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And friendship just simply means this, 
the world is all you're pursuing and you stop pursuing me. So what kind of Christians are these? I guarantee you they love Jesus. They're thankful Jesus sold, uh, saved their soul, but their hearts have not placed him as the God of their lives and they're not following him and the things of this world have taken over. So not necessarily bad things. And it goes on to say, uh, he, said, he goes on to say, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he placed within us should be faithful to him. So they had totally just given up on letting God control their life. And again, I don't want anybody feeling guilty in Borman, TCI, uh, online here in Warren, for enjoying the world. The world's okay to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the world. This is all about them totally taking God off the throne of their life and they're not following him anymore. Although they probably whisper prayers when they have a problem and, and all that and they love Jesus. They're thankful he saved their soul, but they've taken God off the reins of their life. And again, I was 19 when I did this the first time, but I didn't give God everything. And since that time, uh, this world tries to take pieces of my heart. So I, I always have to have those adjustments. And I just want you to know it happens in all of our lives and that's okay, but we need to keep getting rid of vertical pride and saying, God, you control everything. So he goes on to talk to them and he says this in verse six, and he gives grace generously as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And when you and I come to a place and we say, God, you know what? I'm gonna give you my heart all the way back. I'm gonna make the Bible the most important thing in my life. I'm gonna to begin to follow the Bible. Even when you're going through the storms of life, God will grace you. And I already said it, but he graced Joseph when Joseph was a slave. He graced Joseph when he was in prison and he'll grace you. The Bible says God caused favor to come into his life. And that's important for you and I to remember. Well, he goes on and gives a little more instruction. And I love this first thing. He says, come close to God and God will come close to you. And see, it was God's move to bring us to Jesus. He's the only one that could open our eyes up to Jesus. So he took the first move in your life and my life and he opened our eyes up to Jesus and we're so thankful for him. But now that we're a Christian, God's saying, whenever you take a move to know me better, whenever you take a move to give me the reins of your heart, I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna reveal myself to you and I'm gonna bring my grace. So he's encouraging them to do that. And then some of them dabbled into some sin and fell into some sin. So he says this, wash your hands, you sinners. And that just say, repent, do a 180. Say, God, I know Jesus died for my sins, but I'm gonna go a different direction. Then he says, purify your hearts. And this is where the world gets a hold of us. And we say, you know what, God, I'm all cluttered up, but I'm gonna purify and I'm gonna put you on the throne of my life. And then he says, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And then he says this, James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. And for years I took this as horizontal pride, but this is, this is vertical pride. This is not talking about people. And what does it mean to humble ourselves before the Lord? God, I'm gonna make you the most important thing in my life and I'm gonna obey those scriptures. And then what does God do? He gives us grace, he gives us grace. Now, listen very carefully. This is a very difficult thing to do in America, all right? Because there's the American dream. And I think sometimes the American dream 
can be the greatest enemy to God's dreams because we mix them up. And there's nothing wrong with the American dream. What's, in my eyes, just so we're on the same page, the American dream is God wants us to be successful. He wants to bless us. He wants us to have a family. He wants us to be happy. That's okay. It's not bad. But sometimes, and that's what happened to them, it wasn't the American dream, but sometimes the American dream gets in the ways of God's dream. And we don't even know what God's dreams are because we're consumed just with the dreams of this life. And again, I'm so thankful for the American dream. I'm so thankful an immigrant can come and, and they can fulfill the American dream. I'm so glad you're able to fulfill the American dream. Nothing wrong with that, but we don't want it to stop us from fulfilling God's dream. And when we deal with vertical pride, we say, you know, the American dream's great. I'm, gonna, I'm excited about living in this country where there's so much opportunity. But the most important thing is the dreams God has placed in my heart. And I want those dreams to come to pass. And sometimes they may parallel the American dream, one part of the dream or another. But all I wanna know, God, is what you created me for. And I want you to control my heart. And here's the heart of God. He wants to bless you, but he can't till we pass this test. And somehow in the pit, Joseph came out with no pride. And somehow this had to happen in there. And God didn't want us to see it, but he did give us the book of James. So I don't know about you. Uh, you know, I do messages like this. And if I were to pick, I'd say, God, I don't want to do that message. I, I like the messages where we all walk out like, yeah, that was awesome, man. Jesus loves me. Ah. I, those are the ones that are fun to preach, right? Get a couple amens and just get people going, some claps. Hey, and, and that's fun. But Sometimes if, if you're going to be a pastor, you have to teach the whole counsel of the Bible, but this is the one that's going to bring you happiness in the future. It will bring happiness like no other for you and I to deal with this thing called vertical pride. And I look at this as an act of love on God's part. He's saying, man, I want to grace your life. I want to pick you up. So humble yourself and give me the reins of your life. So I want to ask in Borman, I want to ask here in Warren, because we're still going to give it up. Guys at TCI Online, can we say thank you, God? You love us so much. You teach us the truth. Oh, we're so excited, Lord. We're so excited. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Um, guys, this is just a God moment. Let's make it that, okay, in our lives. In Borman, TCI, Warren, online. Let's, let's make it a God time. And Lord, the majority of people here are like me. We, we gave you the reins, but some things slip and we take it back. Or maybe we've kept some parts of our heart away. And we just ask you to make that real to us, Lord. And Lord, some of us, uh, have to deal with some horizontal pride and we have conflict and Lord, we, we, we find ourselves humiliated a lot and we fall and sometimes destruction comes and it's not just random every 10 years, it's happening a lot, God. And we ask you as we walk through this week, we ask you to reveal, reveal those things so we can deal with those too, Lord. But again, most importantly, Father, Show us if we're holding those reins so we can give them over to you. And I thank you for doing that in every single one of our lives. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Guys, I really believe the Holy Spirit, who's God, he speaks to our hearts. I believe he's still ministering to people. So let's stay in an attitude of prayer. But maybe you're here in Borman, here in Warren. You're watching online at TCI and you're not sure of your forever 
And you know, the Bible says, if you call on the name of Jesus, he'll save your soul. That is so cool. And so Jesus came to save us. We talked about that during the Lord's Supper today. And God raised him up from the grave. And the Bible says, you can't work your way to heaven, but whoever believes in him, God will, says, I will save them. So I'm not asking you to join our church or religion. I'm not asking you if you grew up in church. I'm not asking you if you're water baptized as a baby or an adult. I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church. All great things. But what have you done with Jesus? That's the most important thing. And so if you're listening, you say, Pastor, I can't remember a day where I prayed and said, Jesus, I accept you as Savior, and I realize you're the only way to heaven. I can't work my way there. And if you're listening, you say, that's me. Would you pray with us right now? And guys, can we help them, the ones that are praying it for the first time? Just say this after me. Say, Father, I realize I was born sin-stained, and I need a Savior. I repent of my sins. And I look to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. You took upon yourself a body. And you died for the sins of the entire world. And God raised you from the grave. This day, I receive you as my savior. And make a decision to follow you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.